with Sidra Bell of Sidra Bell Dance New York. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Sidra. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I brought you here today because I want to hear about your summer season that's coming up in New York. But before we get there, I want to tell the audience a little bit about your company. It was founded in 2001 in New York City. And you have a very unique, articulate sensibility in your work that I don't think you find from a lot of contemporary artists right now, multidisciplinary contemporary artists. Can you tell me about Citra Bell Dance New York? It really started growing up in New York City. I came from a very artistic family. My parents are musicians, and I was in this sort of community-based work always growing up. I always had artists in and out of our house, collaborations, being privy to my parents' projects and hanging out in nightclubs with them. And my dad's a jazz pianist. I also sang a lot, you know, growing up and I did visual art and I just, a New York City kid, <laughs> an artistic family. And when I went to Yale University, it was sort of a departure. I'd been training at the Ailey School and at the Dance Theater of Harlem really rigorously, in addition to having a really academic experience and growing up in high school, I decided to depart from maybe doing conservatory training because I wanted to be in a more sort of global institution and Yale was really right for me. But while there, I still had this like burning desire to be working with dance and creating platforms for people to engage with dance. There was not a major there. In my freshman year, I started an organization called Alliance for Dance at Yale College, and it still exists. The whole platform was basically to bring all the artists, dancer community together there, because there was a community, but just not a major. And we produced festivals and brought workshops up for people to engage with. And a lot of really notable dance, like Gus Solomon Jr. and Kevin Wynn came, Carmen DeLavalad came, and I, I was sort of spearheading all of that. And so that was sort of speed information. And at the end of my career there, my colleagues were like, you should really continue. Like, this is sort of a calling. And so Sidra Bell Dance New York sort of came out of this idea of just community, actually. I didn't really start out with the intention of being a choreographer necessarily, although I had started to really make work at Yale just as a part of being in a student group company that was doing that. But yeah, it started in 2001. My parents and I were brainstorming, as we always do. We still work together a lot. And we said, let's, let's just put on a show. So the December of my graduation from Yale, we were able to get a community center in Harlem. And the deal was that I would teach classes for young girls in the community and that they would give us the space for free. And we basically produced, it started out as a self-produced thing. We had live music and visual art on the wall, local Harlem artists and dance. It was really like an interdisciplinary model from the very beginning. We wanted a lot of things going on in the space. And then I was also teaching. So it was education and community right from the beginning. And the first few years, we stayed in that space working. Kind of around 2005, I started to think about how can I formalize my own sense of um, as a maker. And I was invited to SUNY Purchase to do my MFA. Kazuko Hirabayashi was, I, I ran into her again and she got a postcard for one of my shows. And she was like, would you be interested in doing your MFA? And I was like, yeah, maybe. So I considered it, but then ultimately ended up doing it. And uh, it was a really great time. That's when I met Alexandra Wells and went to Springboard. And all these things just started happening really fast um, in those years that I was doing my MFA, getting my first commissions. And yeah, so from there, it's been just unfolding constantly. Sidra Bell Dance New York is just constantly evolving this idea of community education, 
yeah, an interdisciplinary model where it's not only about dance, but it's the experience that you have when you come into a space has been a consistent thread, I think, as the company evolves. Your company of dancers, I find, is an extremely diverse and unique group of people. Before this interview, I was trolling the internet to find this one viral video I saw of one of your dancers last year, because I just needed to see it again. It was just this incredible piece of movement, and I thought to myself, I haven't seen movement like this in the United States. Can you speak to the boutique-style performers that you have who have such strong, unique characters and identities of their own? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of follows that initial thought process of starting with my family and then every group of dancers that I've kind of curated into the company. Now we're sort of working with this boutique model of six, four to six dancers every season because I find that with that number of dancers that can really dive and dial into their humanity. If it was any bigger, it'd be really hard for the kind of intimate process that's required in the work. But I've just been, yeah, so lucky over the years. It's always sort of been that, like four to six dancers that have been like just the center of my attention. And they become family and they become these really, you know, can kind of feel it when you're in the room. They really, it's not only about the work that we're doing, but it's about all the information that they bring in and how they're developing as artists. And so it's a really tight and intimate process. And I think that that uh, sort of draws out this personal vocabulary is really important in the work. There's my phrase work, but there's also personal vocabulary that's brought in. We use a lot of sort of collaborative and improvisational games to get at material. And it's a lot of layering of their identities and the things that I'm interested as I keep evolving as a woman. And so, yeah, I've just, I've always been really interested in the cult of personality and how to sort of create this environment where there's trust and safety and transparency and um, dialogue. And, and I think that really was from the beginning. It's like this family community and education. It's, it folds into the like, kind of choice making and curation of who's in that space and it's also for me when I go into the studio with the company it's my workspace so it's a very private space I'm not teaching them I'm not their teacher they're my colleagues and so I always treat the room in that way like we're challenging each other interrogating and pushing each other to the the limit of our own possibilities so I, I continuously grow with each group that comes through because they're bringing their information into the space. You kind of just answered this, but you also refer to them as illustrators. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. To me, as having come from like a musical visual art background and in addition to dancing training growing up, for me, dance was always like a medium. And I know we say that, but it's like, it's a medium that we pass through. And then the body is like this sort of translator of an inner dialogue. And so my fascination with anatomy and what the body can do and how that not only our outer systems, our inner systems, like how does that all come together in this illustration or statement or poem or in, a, in the works that we're, work that we're doing in June, it's like a long form poem. And I'm just constantly, the, the mystery of that language and how to export that out to a viewer or how to export an experience or create an experience as a performer is is really fascinating. And I speak to each of the dancers in the company as if they're soloists, A, because it's a really small group, <laughs> and B, because I think they each carry weight and whether they're doing work together on stage or holding space or witnessing each other, there's this weight that they carry that I think 
allows it to be an illustrative environment. You know, as soon as we start, we're in it. Can you isolate any differences or similarities that occur when you're working with your private group of dancers versus when you're doing a large-scale commission, which you have numerous body traffic, Sacramento Ballet, Ballet Austin, lots of really cool companies. How do you translate your work in those different avenues? I think that I'm, I'm getting better at it. I think what's become more and more important as I go on more commissions, and I'm traveling almost like eight months out of the year now, going to universities and companies. And I love that work because I get to almost infiltrate another community. (laughs) It's almost excavational. I bring back so much information when I come back to my company from just those experiences and getting to travel the world. Um, I think the way that I'm getting better is really folding in process each time. No matter if it's a group of 10 year olds or classical ballet dancers or like there's no difference in that process. I try to always bring in my warm up is really important and the things that I do to prepare my body and I'm, I'm dancing with them and moving with them and improvising with them and finding um, information in the same way that I would with my company dancers. And so I try to make that process as kind of uh, generative as I would as I'm developing a work or teaching a class and then we move into just playing together like say with body traffic I remember that process being all play (laughs) and you know the piece was became a thing but most of the time we were just experimenting and laughing and you know I love that I love to visit communities and really you know get to know that not only the community of dancers but the community around you know the cities and I end up doing a lot of educational programs when I visit these cities so not only working with a company or a university but also getting to know the environments that they're in so I just love it. I love traveling and then and then growing as an artist and coming back to my company with all this seed information. I just went to Dark Circles Contemporary Dance in, in Dallas in February. And one of the sections of those works is actually going to be, re- uh, it, it is appropriated into Prelude Identity. So there's stuff that I developed that then comes back in as material and sectional items. Tell us what Prelude and Identity is. Prelude identity, um, I find now that I've developed all these long form works for the company, this is like my 11th full length work in New York City. It always feels like it's a reaction to what happened maybe in the last season. And I feel like Prelude identity, I'm really pushing on the idea of working towards intimacy on stage and working towards, I find that so much in my work too, so much of it is just moving by so quickly and fast and I'm really working more with a poetic structure in this work and kind of dialing into relationship. And I feel like all of my work is about aimlessness and loneliness and trying to connect with people. That's why I'm so attracted to dance because I think that's the medium where it can happen. Um, So I think Prelude is probably one of the quieter works that I've created because I'm really trying to dig into like how to, find intimacy again and how to reconnect because everything just feels like it's moving by so quickly. A lot of the work I think is in response to, I find that now in our society that a lot of the way that we deal with each other is transactional. And one of the first questions I asked in the beginning of this process is like, could I really survive with a sort of transactional 
way that society and community is has become and I don't think I can I can't be just transactional with people so that's some of the the questioning and what how the pieces develop so there's, there's a lot of solo work and duet work and we're working a lot with music that's sort of uh, local male like female artists in the work uh, for the music there's a nostalgia about using loneliness and relationships and quiet intimacy this language you're using Mm -hmm. that I think appeals to not just a dance audience, but any kind of audience. Who would you say is your audience? And I ask that question because a lot of contemporary dance in the U.S. is underexposed. Let's talk about the audience for a second. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I mean, because we're a boutique company and a lot of a lot of my work has actually been, I consider myself an outlier because I find the things are changing in the larger economic sphere that we're in. And I've had to make ways as a New York City artist to, once I have an idea, I'm like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make a way for it to happen. I, I tend not to wait for a presenting organization or a big grant to come in for something to occur. And I think that comes from the very beginning of just like, running around New York city doing projects and trying to just gather people together. And that's really stayed. Uh, now we've gotten more foundational and organizational support, but still a lot of it has to do with like the kind of inception of an idea and just like, let's make it happen. And that's, I think how I've been able to develop so much work as I, I'm really committed to building teams of people. We've had tremendous support from volunteers and people that just want to be part of something that's moving and moving forward. So it's been really interesting in that process. I've had to also really dig into how to develop audience as a, as a self-produced artist. So a lot of my day is actually spent connecting with people. Spending time on the marketing edge of things has been a critical thing and taking control of how the company is branded and how what language I want to put out there doesn't go through these other filters. And I think that's just the way things are going anyway. But really early on, I started to understand that there were some kind of blockades that I could bypass by just connecting directly with my audience. A lot of my day is spent getting the word out there, trying to build teams of people that really want to sort of be a part of the producing of this thing that I'm, I'm doing. And I've just been really committed to that. And so when things aren't coming in on a sort of foundational or organizational level from the outside, or we're not getting those tours, there's still stuff happening. There's still like activity and you prioritize the mission above all else. Yeah. And also sustainability. Like for me, it's been very important to have a company model a lot. That's sort of something that's fading away, especially in New York. You see that things are becoming more project based, but as that's happened, we've become tighter and tighter there's a there's a reasoning behind that I find that rigor like there there needs to be rigor in order to create work that's meaningful that has is layered and um, I found that as as I was continuing I needed to collect and harness resources to make sure that my dancers have consistent work over an eight to nine month period and that's you know then it's it's ritualistic too I think you have to be patient as you're building audience as you're building your donor base and like it's it's being consistent. And I think a lot of younger artists are like, how do you do it? I'm like, it's consistency and patience. It's such a slow burn. <laughs> you know, very rarely are there those big stories where things just happen. And even after those, you know, we've had some big achievements too, but, you know, at the end of the day, those things end and then you're back in the studio at ground zero. 
So it's, it's that consistency and patience that I think has really served me well. It's like a long game thing. And then the building of the audience comes from that consistency and the sort of cyclicalness of like knowing that coming out of our, our team, you're going to be seeing like the restart of a season and then you're going to be seeing this big show at the end and we have touring in between and just, just letting people know. <laughs> that started at Yale too. I remember letter writing, you know, to get work. As I said, I was bringing up people to teach like Carmen de Lavalade and different people. I, I would remember sitting at a typewriter and typing a letter and just asking, you know, and also asking for help too has been critical. So it's just, again, community. I keep coming back to that word. Like when I think about all of our successes, it comes with all of these images of people that have been involved in that photographers and videographers and interns and designers and producers, presenters. Like they're just so my family. So many people have been involved and it's not me single-handedly. <laughs> so to kind of propel this idea of community forward, one of mm-hmm. the uh, segments we do on Dance on Air is twirl talk. And twirl mm-hmm. talk is like, is like girl talk. And we talk about people we have crushes on, quote unquote. But mm-hmm. really, we're talking about other artists in our medium yeah. or outside of our medium that inspire us, that we want other people to know about. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of those you can share with us? I have a lot of <laughs> people that I just find myself both loving their work, but also being attracted to the way that they think and the way that they assemble ideas. I mean, a lot of those people are also people that I work with still, you know, like Troy Ogilvy is someone that's we've continuously cycled around each other as, as like thinkers, I would say. She was someone that danced for me. And since then we've stayed in contact and I've been, you know, sort of touching base with her with the work that she's creating and we just continue to have her like sort of simultaneous way of thinking about things and that has been a really important relationship you know I go I travel a lot too and see work abroad and I'm always astonished at the work that does happen in Europe because it's so much bigger (laughs) than what we do here I just saw a piece by Marina Mascarell just the scale I'm always just sort of inspired by work that gets big in scale, Sasha Vaults, like that things are just happening that are almost epic in the space. Um, I saw something in New Orleans that was really inspiring by Kaneza Shawl a couple of years ago when we toured there. Um, again, an interdisciplinary theater based artist it was a lot like singing and dance. And I couldn't even call it dance, but there was just so much, it was very rich and layered. So I guess I'm more and more attracted to work that's not just frontal dance. <laughs> when I was in her piece, I can't remember what the name of the piece was, but it was in New Orleans at this warehouse space called the Contemporary Arts Center where we were also performing. And um, I felt like I was just entrenched, like I like dropped into this world. And I, I find myself more and more attracted to that kind of work versus work that's really frontal and proscenium and kind of framed in that way. I like to feel like I'm stuff that's filmic, it's cinematic really attracts me um I have mentors that are my crushes still (laughs) 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 just really look up to like the way that they language and speak or just feel like I still don't know anything (laughs) when I'm talking to them Jacqueline Buglisi uh who danced with the Graham Company and uh, Kevin Wynn, who teaches at SUNY Purchase. They're just people that, like, they humble me <laughs> and they, when they start to speak about the history and their ascent. And um, 
so many, so many. I'd have to list <laughs> my contemporaries for sure. Like the people that I trained with, you know, I worked, I actually trained with Camille Brown and Kyle Abraham as a friend. And, you know, those are people that I've kind of been on this like ride with a little bit, just kind of in a parallel universe. And it's really inspiring to see how our generation is, is taking on those leadership roles in the community and how things are changing. Um, I, and I work for a lot of different places too. So I get to really, when I visit universities and I may have a rehearsal director or someone, I had someone at Point Park who danced with the Graham company and like some of the things she said, like I still carry and write them down and carry them in my journal. <laughs> um, her name is Judith. <laughs> this is just a tangential question really, but Camille and Kyle have both been on the podcast and uh, mm-hmm. we've had some yeah, really, <laughs> really fruitful discussions, but their work tends to circle or orbit around identity constructs a little bit more than your or more than yours does at least from my perspective and you are all individuals of color mm-hmm. how do you see identity politics playing a part in your work or do you i do yeah i mean i see it for me my identity is constructed by something so specific that it can't be housed. <laughs> um, I come from a multiracial background, and I guess my take on identity within my work is that I, I am all that I am, <laughs> which is not monolithic, and it's it's many many things. And so, even the construct of the company and the way, like the like sort of ephemeral identities that have passed through, and the diversity of those individuals, I think we're a house for this sort of multiplicity of identity. Um, I don't perform in my work either. So I kind of swim through other people's identities a little bit, which is interesting and sometimes maybe problematic. Uh, I have a piece called, (laughs) interestingly enough, Garment, um, which was sort of a satirical take on this a little bit because I found myself sort of kind of, I was getting a lot of sort of, and even now still there's talk of my work sort of including queerness and I was wondering in that piece, like how much am I like suiting up or dressing in other people's identities because I'm not on stage and how much am I hiding my own, my own identity through just kind of directing them in space, which I think every choreographer sort of encounters, like how much of a puppeteer are you? (laughs) So that was sort of a funny, fun take on that. It actually, the piece ends up being really dark in the end. And we actually restaged it last year. This was from 2014, but yeah, it's interesting. I identify fully as a black woman, but also in all the multiplicity that I am um, in womanhood. And I, I understand that every single day that I am shifting and changing and even relationships like I as you kind of move forward, like you start to like evaluate and kind of become more and more narrow into the things that are important to you. So for me, identity is really fluid in my work. And I guess maybe prelude identity is like sort of. <laughs> like I wouldn't say that it speaks specifically to racial or um, gender identity but like I feel my hands on the piece fully and so you are seeing me in all of my complexity I'm complex (laughs) I think for me dance as a medium has been a way to sort of play things out like physically I'm still very physical in my process so though I'm not on stage I feel like all of my like all the threads and histories there's this little there's a theme in the piece of like predating <laughs> so like all the things that we are also made of 
up of things that came before we were were even born. So (laughs) that's interesting to me as well. So yeah, I think identity is fluid and it takes on a more poetic sort of universal effect in my work, but there's definitely like enclosures you know, the body on stage is the body. Like you can't abstract that either. Right. So there's always going to be race, race and sex and gender there because that's not an abstract thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there, it's there in space. And, I, and I've been learning a lot through my teaching modules too about that because we've, we've been working on these intergenerational laboratories and and learning more and more by teaching more and more that it's impossible to abstract the body in space. That I have to speak to each individual separately. And that's challenging, but it's important to do. You have such an intellectualism and crafted sense of the way you discuss art. And I really appreciate and admire that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're all grappling with the same things. I was talking in my class at University of the Arts the other day, and we were doing a wrap-up meeting. I teach this class called Sophomore Coaching and Performance Project, which is sort of all of this like dealing with performativity and what that means and it's a sort of foundational course there and then they kind of move into their own separate disciplines but we were talking about how much one student mentioned the idea of care and how important that was when making and doing and (laughs) creating dance and being a part of process and I think that that's also something that underscores my way and how I manage myself as an artist is that it has to start from a place of care and humanity and empathy before you can even move into the making process. I'm excited about this upcoming generation because I think everyone is much more concerned with that. It's not just the presentation of elements on stage and it's not the commodification. It's like the humanity and the, which is something I've always been concerned with. Um, so it's great to hear my students start to speak in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully I had a small part in that you know hopefully it's like undoubtedly you know and i think yeah so just i hope that we can you know that dance and movement you know that it can continue to be something that is universal that it's not you know closed off to like youthfulness and beauty that it's it's about like the expression um let's close out by giving us the details of your show one more time so that the audience can figure out how to go see it Prelude Identity is a world premiere. It's been developed over the 2018-2019 season with my company of six dancers. It premieres June 21st at 8 p.m. and then followed by shows on June 22nd at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. And we really want to encourage the community to be there, support live art. It's at Gelsey Kirkland Art Center. It's such a cool area. Dumbo has changed so much, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bustling area, and it's really, uh, I love the venue. It's just like kind of lofty, big, um, right? It's very New York. And uh, we're giving multiple levels of prices. We want to make it affordable for the community. So we have a general admission price, but we have a group rate for four. It brings the ticket price down considerably. And we also have a code, perennial is the code. <laughs> And that is for our artist friends, friends of SBDNY and your community on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but tickets down to $10 and there's a student rate. So we just want people in those seats. Great. I'm sure <laughs> they'll be art. there. Yeah. Live art. It's so important. Again, you can't, it's experiential and it's uh, ephemeral. And we just, as an organization, that's one of our priorities that we have people that experience it live. 
So again, uh, Galaxy Kirkland Art Center, 29 J Street, June 21st and 22nd. Sidra, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so appreciative and so good to reconnect with you. Nice to meet you. Let's have an authentic conversation. It's rare and very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Mm-hmm.